You know, COVID has given us a default setting of resistance, and properly so. Even in public gatherings, we resist contracting the virus, and we should with social distance, masks, all that. But in the spirit in this house, we cannot have a resistant default setting. We want to have a receiving default setting. We want to receive, we need to receive from the Lord. More importantly than resisting the virus is to receive the Lord. And and these two are not mutually exclusive. They go hand in hand. So I just want us to uh, consciously pray this prayer. Father, activate my receptors here in this, my receptors in this house, in Jesus' name. I, I throw off the virus, but I receive the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. And what the Spirit has to say in these days. Hallelujah. Let's thank the Lord. Please be seated. It's my honor to bring to us the Word of God this morning from the book of Revelation. Uh, We've seen in Revelation chapter 1, really who Jesus is today. Now we come to Revelation chapter 2 and 3 on who the church is today. It's vital. In fact, we're going to see the purpose of the church, the identity of the church, the, the authority in the church. We're going to see the response of the church and the honor of the church. This is the first time in a long time I've stood up wishing I had five weeks to preach one sermon. But it is true. Now, every book that we study in the Bible needs to maintain the historic context in which it was written. If we lift it out of its historic context, we can prove anything at any time. We can make the Bible say stuff it was never intended to say. That principle of proper Bible study is equally true, but even more important in the book of the Revelation. It's easy to take stuff totally out of context, out of its historic context, and try to make it say just about anything you want it to say, and that's dangerous. We find here in verse 9, we're introduced to an individual who's writing these words, I, John, your brother, and then it goes on to say, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of Christ and because I was being persecuted. John was a political prisoner on the island of Patmos, which is one of about a thousand islands in the Aegean Sea, including all the Greek isles, and uh, many other islands. John was, was a political prisoner of Rome, being persecuted as a Christian, put on this island in utter isolation. That's the context. Now, look at what it goes on to say. Verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, uh, someone may think, well, this must be Sunday. No, uh, Sunday is re- uh, Saturday, Saturday is referred to as the Sabbath. This is the Lord's day, which because Christ rose on the, the first day of the week, 
the early church moved worship from Saturday to Sunday, and this is Sunday. That's the context. So not only do we have who's saying it, where he's, where he's writing it, but we've got even the day of the week that this is taking place. Then he, he said he was in the Spirit, and he heard behind him, verse 11, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. The, these seven churches are all located in the west half of Turkey, modern-day Turkey, if you were to go basically east from Patmos, you'd come to Turkey, you'd come to the city of Ephesus. You go north, you come to uh, Smyrna, and you continue, and you come to these churches in sequence in a semicircular pattern. There was a trade route there, and that's the context for this book. It was written by an individual in a specific location. It was triggered on, on Sunday, and now he's writing to these seven churches, these seven historic churches um, in, in modern-day Turkey. So that's the historic setting for the words of the book of the Revelation. Now, with that as our historic context, we want to gain from these two chapters, Revelation 2 and 3, the, a clear view of the purpose, identity, authority, our response, and the honor given to the church. That's what we're going to look at. Now, most studies in the book of the Revelation will take these seven churches sequentially. And there's value to that. We're not going to do that this morning, and I want to submit to us there is a better way to study these seven churches than to take them sequentially. If you take them sequentially, the whole purpose is to show the distinction between the church rather than the common thread of the church. And some of the nuances of the seven different churches will apply and some will not. The way we're looking at it and studying it this morning, everything applies to us. So I submit to you, this is a better way to study these three chapters. The first thing we come to is the purpose of the church. And we receive that revelation of what the purpose of the church is before we leave chapter 1. It says in verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, we wonder, well, what in the world is this a picture of? Seven golden lampstands. Um, these were seven pieces of furniture designed to hold oil so that that oil would be lit and become basically a flame holder. Um, some were made out of wood. These are, are gold. And they hold a bowl of oil, perhaps some wicks or not, but the oil is on fire. Now, what are these seven representing? Representing Well, we come to the last phrase of chapter 1, and it says the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So now we see that the seven churches to whom John is told to send this letter 
are being represented now by seven uh, images of fire holding pieces of furniture. Basically, we could call them seven flame holders. These seven flame holders are the seven churches. So what's the point? This, this, this is, if you miss anything else this morning, don't miss this. This is the purpose of the church. The church exists as the only institution on earth designed exclusively to receive the manifest presence of Christ, to minister to the manifest presence of Christ, and to extend the manifest presence of Christ to those around. That is the purpose of the church. Now, just so we don't miss this, fire in the Bible, very frequently fire appears and virtually every time it appears when it's sent by God, every one of those times that God sends fire, it is, the fire is the manifest presence of God. When Moses met God in the burning bush, there were thousands of bushes with the omnipresence of God. This was the first bush that had the manifest presence of Christ and it was represented by fire and God spoke out of that bush that was on fire and yet it wasn't consumed because it wasn't physical fire, but it was the image of fire and that was the manifest presence of God. When Moses received the Ten Commandments on the mountain, they, all Israel was afraid to go up on the mountain and said, you go, but we're staying here. And even God said, don't let anybody come up because they'll get incinerated. But the fire of God came to the top of that mountain and those looking up saw this fire on top and yet Moses was up there getting the Ten Commandments. He, was, he didn't, wasn't killed. This was not a natural fire. This was a supernatural fire. That fire was the manifest presence of God. When Israel was led through the wilderness, during the day there was a cloud, but at night there was a, a pillar of fire. That fire was the manifest presence of God. When, when Elijah said, um, you people are hobbling between two opinions. If the Lord is God, uh, worship him. If Baal is God, worship him. Then he said, you build your altar, sacrifice your animal, you call on your God. I'm going to build my altar, I'm going to sacrifice my animal, I'm going to call on my God. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And the, the prophets of Baal uh, cut themselves, they, they worship their, their demons, and nothing happened. And then uh, Elijah, he, he has him pour water on it. Put more water, put more water. And then he prays. And he prays an incredible prayer. It's short and sweet. And God loved it. And God sent fire. And all the people of God fell on their faces. They worshiped God. They humbled themselves. They repented. Uh, they kicked the devil out of the country. And, and it was a, a mini revival because the manifest presence of God came by fire. Amen. Then you've got the whole early church. The early church, they all received fire. There are 120 of them in the upper room. What was that fire? It was the manifest presence of God. The presence of God came. And now we come to the last book of the Revelation showing the picture of the church represented by flame holders. 
This is the purpose of the church on earth today is to receive the manifest presence of Christ, to minister back to the manifest presence, to steward the manifest presence, and to take the manifest presence and share it with others. Brothers and sisters, I believe in preaching. I give it my best shot every week. And everyone that steps into the pulpit here at Lilburn Alliance Church honors the word of God. But as important as preaching is, you don't see seven pulpits. We believe in good worship. Praise God for the Kirk family. By the way, would you give it up uh, for Dan and Angela and their family leading us in worship today? It was wonderful. Praise God. Bless you guys. We believe in it. But there are not seven music stands or seven guitars or seven keyboards as important as it is. There's seven flame holders. We believe in life groups. We've we've got 40-some life groups. In, In every community around here, we've got life groups. But you don't see seven couches or seven circles of chairs as important as they are. That's not what the image is of the church. No, the, the church, the purpose of the church primarily is not preaching, it's not worship, it's not small groups, those are all important. The purpose of the church is to receive the manifest presence of Christ, Hallelujah. to minister to the manifest presence of Christ, and to hold out his presence to those that have yet to come to Christ. Hallelujah. That's the purpose of the church. If you miss everything else, that's what you ought to leave here knowing about the church. It's the essence of the church. It's why we have youth ministry. We don't have youth ministry to keep the kids off the street, to keep them out of gangs. We have youth ministry to lead our youth to encounter the manifest presence of Christ and to minister to his presence and to share his presence with those youth that don't yet know the Lord. It's the essence of the church. Why do we have 40-some life groups? It's not just to give people something to do, to get nice people together and and share a meal and read a few verses and pray for each other. All those things are wonderful. But ultimately, life groups exist to be groups as flame holders, to receive the presence and minister to the presence and share the presence with neighbors. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's why we have children's ministry. It's why we do everything we do. And if it doesn't come back to that, we lop it off and say, we don't have time for this. It's not worth it. It's a distraction. Why are we sending Jim and Heather Hatcher to Jerusalem in order for them to be there and and to build a flame holder, to receive the presence, to minister to the presence, and to share the presence with the wonderful people in Jerusalem? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's the church. We are flame holders. And what's better than one big flame holder here? It's every one of us in our homes having our own flame holder. Hallelujah. As we we had a weekend uh, called Hope for the Family. Hope is an acrostic. Houses of prayer everywhere. What is every house of prayer is a flame holder. It's a flame holder. It, it's a, every one of our homes is designed, you have a family so that you might welcome the presence and minister to the presence and share the presence with others. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's why there's families. It's why God's put us in families. And he wants this, this vision of the church to permeate everything we do. Hallelujah. 
Now, how am I doing? Well, that was point one. The boy better get on his horse here. Number two is the identity of the church. This is so powerful. Look at chapter two, verse one. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, what we're gonna find here, and you're gonna follow along with me, but every one of the seven churches find their identity in Christ and Christ manifests himself to each of the seven churches entirely distinctly. The revelation of Christ is the one Christ. There's only one Christ. But to every one of the seven churches, his revelation to each church is entirely distinct. Now watch this. We move from Ephesus in verse 1 to go to verse 8, Smyrna. The words of the first and the last who died and came back to life. Go to verse 12, Pergamum. The words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. Go to verse 18, Thyatira. The words of the Spirit of God who has eyes like flames of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Uh, Go to chapter 3, verse 1, Sardis, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Go to verse 7, Philadelphia, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Go to verse 14, Laodicea, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Now, can can you believe that? Who is speaking in every time? Jesus. How is he revealing himself 100% distinct to every church? And I'm telling you, there's a purpose to this. There's a purpose. The purpose is to show that at any given time, every church finds their identity in Christ but the way Christ reveals himself to every individual church at any given time is, in, is distinct for them. Amen. You know this in your own life. In the seasons of life, there are times when God, when, when you're facing deep financial difficulty and God shows himself to you as your provider. There are times when you feel like your family is entirely under attack and and he's your protector. There's times when you need healing, uh, someone's diagnosed with cancer or or COVID or whatever it is, and you need him as healer. Through the seasons of life, God manifests his face to you, his presence, his reality in a variety of different ways. Now, this has huge ramifications. And I just want to crawl up next to you I'll put my mask on and say don't envy anyone else would you quit comparing yourself to anyone else you're not anyone else and you know a lot of people church hop and and, people come and go and, and, and there are times to leave a church and to, and to move on. I get that. So please don't overstate what I'm, what I'm about to say. But there are those who chronically church hop every year or two, and I'll tell you what, they, what they're doing. 
they are looking for something that that church does not need at that moment. God has, he, Jesus is now, and he's here for you, and he wants to meet you here now. Don't compare your situation to anyone else's. Jesus wants to reveal himself to you distinctly. He wants to reveal himself to us uniquely. We're not like any other church in Atlanta. We're not like any other church in the world. We don't need to compare ourselves. You yourself, your own family unit, the station in your life, no one else is going through exactly what you're doing, going through. But Jesus wants to reveal himself uniquely to meet the needs that you're facing right now and reach out and receive him. Respond to him now. Take him as your own. That's our identity is in Christ. The third thing we learn from these seven churches and Christ's message to them is the authority in the church. There's one phrase that's repeated over and over again. Every every church, you'll find these same words. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want you to repeat this. He who has an ear, ear. let him hear hear. what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, you can go some places and they'll tell you that God doesn't speak anymore. Well, the, the problem is that they, they base that on the Bible, but the Bible says something different. Yes. The Bible says that the Spirit still speaks. Yes. He speaks to the churches. It doesn't say he spoke. It says he speaks. Now, let me be perfectly clear. There is one ultimate authority that judges every other thing God says, and it's the written word of God. We are absolutely bound to the authority, the inerrancy of the written word of God on every issue. We're bound. And you know we don't compromise on anything here in this house. But the reason the Bible was written was not to end revelation, but to give us a basis to judge future revelation. It's true. The Spirit, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. It doesn't just even say the Bible. It says what the Spirit says. Now, of course, the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. This is God-breathed. This is Spirit-breathed. So this is a supernatural book with with absolute authority over everything else uh, Jesus says. And it is the written Word of God. And so when you are in prayer and God speaks to you, Not through scripture, but he speaks to you. You judge that based on the word of God. But don't exclude future revelation because I'm telling you, this is an ongoing reality. And the church that's gonna prevail is going to accept the fact that Jesus still speaks today. His Holy Spirit is still speaking today. God speaks through people all the time. God speaks through Don Thomas to me so often. Through Sherry. God speaks through Sherry to me so often, sometimes I can't tell the difference when it's Sherry or God. Now, don't take that too seriously, dear. That's all I need for her to turn around and say, this is God speaking. I'm in deep trouble. Now, be careful. Be careful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, frankly, any husband that doesn't ever hear God through his wife is a knucklehead. 
I don't mind telling you. I saw a few wives give one of these to their husband. Hallelujah. No, hear this church. He who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says today to the church. I hope something's getting stirred up. Sherry and I pray this every week for you as our family. Lord, this Sunday, give us ears to hear. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. There's timely words that we need. Praise God for the written word, but don't think you're getting a 2,000-year-old word when you read the Bible. You're getting a a current. This is fresh out of the oven. Word from God today. He's speaking today. Hallelujah. Not without the word, not instead of the word. Don't, Don't overhear me. But it's, it comes from him, Amen. always judged by the written, yes. but his revelation is fresh and alive and new. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the authority. The authority of the, uh, over the church is the word. Now, we've got to move quickly. The fourth point here for understanding who the church is today is the response of the church. And there's one word. There's one word. It's the fourth principle here. The one word that summarizes the response of the church is repentance. Repent. Eight times in these, to these seven churches, God says, repent. There are, however, two churches that he doesn't say repent to. And I thought, well, I'm giving principles that apply to every church. Can I really say this? And I, I, I'm, I am fully confident I can accurately, biblically, and here's why. The two churches Jesus doesn't say to repent to are Sardis and Philadelphia, and there's a reason. They're already repenting. They're living in repentance. Sardis was so beaten down, they were so beat up, they're the most persecuted church out of the seven, and they're already in repentance. They're, They're already humbled, and Jesus comes alongside to lift them up. And Philadelphia felt outclassed, they felt small, they felt inferior, and that's why Jesus said, I've set before you a door nobody can, can shut. They need an encouragement. They're already in repentance. And to the other churches, he's saying, repent, repent, repent. Here's, here's the point. The authority over the church is the word of God. It's the authority. And our setting, our default setting is Repentance. All preaching must lead to repentance. I'm telling you, there are so many churches around Atlanta now that do not ever preach repentance. It's a total prostitution of the Word of God. It is impossible to preach this book without repentance. It's impossible. Utterly impossible. I'm sorry for getting so worked up about this, but but it's a a critical issue in our day. Anyway, hallelujah. 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 If you hear the word of God, it will lead you in repentance. And here's a beautiful thought. You know what makes heaven rejoice? When one sinner repents. Jesus said that at least three times. There's rejoicing in heaven because there's repentance on earth. Now, let me me ask you this. How often does heaven rejoice? Continuously. Continuously. Heaven is continuously rejoicing because there's repentance on earth continuously. 
Somebody told me when I was in college, I know I repented. They said this of themselves. I know I repented because I'm still repenting. If that's not part of your daily constitution, there's something wrong with you. If you're a Christian, you ought to know this. This shouldn't be foreign. If you're, if you're a human, all we like sheep have gone astray. That's yesterday, that was this morning, that's since we've been here, that's, that's, but the Lord calls us back. He welcomes us back. He loves us back. His kindness leads us to repentance. It's an ongoing, hallelujah. The response of the church is repentance. Revelation 2 and 3. And the final is the honor. This is the one I wish I could preach five weeks on this one part. We're going to come back to it. The honor of the church is we get to be winners. Winners. We get to win. How many of you like winning? Even if you're not a competitor, you, you like winning. Some of us are more competitive than others. That's, I'm, I have nothing, I'm not talking at all about how competitive you are. Some of us can't lose at anything. We hate losing. I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about that. God called you so that you would be a champion. It's true. This is not, uh, I'm not trying to uh, create something here. This is biblical. To every one of the seven churches, Jesus says, to the one who conquers. God, God has given you something to conquer Hallelujah. right now. Here again, this is why you do not want to compare yourself to anyone else. You are not designed to fight anybody else's battles. You're, you are anointed to fight your battles. God has anointed you to conquer. Amen. Don't look around the room. Don't look at any family members. Don't look at anybody else in the neighborhood. Don't compare yourself with anybody else and what they're facing and wish you, you didn't have what you have. You have what you have for a reason and you have Jesus so that in Jesus you can conquer. This is so powerful. Every church, Jesus says, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes. Why? Because there has never been a Christian that is not designed to be an overcomer. Hallelujah. And there has never been a Christian that has a cakewalk. Those that walk with Jesus are not those that have smooth sailing. No. You're never promised that. No. You're not promised the magic kingdom. It's nice to go to the magic kingdom once in a while. How many of you like going to the magic kingdom? Hallelujah. But you're, you're promised something better than the magic kingdom. You're promised God's kingdom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's nothing phony. There's nothing synthetic. It doesn't charge you through the nose to, to go to the magic kingdom. Hallelujah. I love it anyway. I bless the whole Disney complex. It's fun and all that. But it's not real life. This is real life, and God wants to give you right down the middle of your life the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he wants to make you an overcomer. Now listen to this. To Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 7, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. To Smyrna, verse 11, to the one who conquers, he will not be hurt by the second death. To Pergamum, verse 17, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. Oh man, can you imagine the hidden manna? Woo! Okay, to Thyatira, verse 26, to the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Yes. 
Wow. Sardis, chapter 3, verse 5, to the one who conquers will be uh, clothed thus in white garments. To Philadelphia, verse 12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. To Laodicea, uh, chapter 3, verse 21, to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Hallelujah. 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 Let's thank the Lord that we are all conquerors. We're all conquerors. We all have stuff. We all have stuff. We all have issues. We have messes. We have problems. But God calls you conqueror. Hallelujah. Fifteen times in the book of the Revelation, the same word is used. Now, I wore the shoes this morning in honor of the word. The Greek word is Nike. I thought I could get away with it if, if I use it as a sermon illustration. I'm wearing my Nikes. The Greek word for conquer, for overcomer, is Nike. Yeah. Hallelujah. Fifteen times. So seven times in these two chapters, but eight times out beyond these, these two chapters in the book of the Revelation. Fifteen times in the book of the Revelation, you'll find the same word conquer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's who we are as a church. I feel like uh, I need a shower. (laughs) I hope hope you're okay. I hope I didn't try to uh, get through this too quick. I feel like the Lord told me this was the message today. We covered a lot of ground. It's all there. I hope you review it. I hope you take notes. You can pull it back up online. Father, we're a fertile congregation. Plant the seed of your word, of your kingdom, deep within us that this message will bear fruit for your kingdom advancement for as long as we live. Until our days are done on earth, that this message will bear fruit in our lives in Jesus' name. Hallelujah.